This episode of Storyboard 30 is supported by our friends at Epicenter Memphis, epicentermemphis.org. Visit epicentermemphis.org for current business support resources for entrepreneurs affected by the coronavirus pandemic. Recorded in Zoom. Memphis, and welcome to Storyboard 30. I'm your host, Mark Fleischer, publisher of Storyboard Memphis, the publication that brings you stories, ideas, connections, and community in one place. That place, that community, is, well, somewhat in peril today, as I'm sure I don't have to tell you, we are smack dab in the middle of a pandemic. In response to the pandemic, with so much around us in peril, we're going to be doing some special shows. The first one we recorded this way was with Michael Detroit, the executive producer of Playhouse on the Square, and we talked about the economic impact of the pandemic shutdown. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna be focusing on something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is community news. For this show, I invited a team of four panelists, which originally these four panelists were going to be part of a panel discussion at the library itself. Of course, that was going to be a room full of 50 to 100 people, which would not have met our social distancing guidelines that we are now following. So rather than an hour-long panel discussion in front of an audience, we're going to be breaking this up into a couple of segments to be aired back-to-back in consecutive weeks, both on 89.3 WYPL and right here on Storyboard's Vimeo channel. Our topic for the next couple of weeks, we're calling it the crisis in community news. It is just that. It is a crisis. Why? Because after all, the news is how you're getting your information about this pandemic. Well, you might say, I'm getting my news and information. I'm watching this video. I've got my handheld device. I've got my laptop. I have my iPad. That's true. However, what's so easy to forget is that while a good 60% of us in Memphis have instant access to digital, it's like turning on the water, there's another 30-40% of Memphis that does not have this kind of access, that does not have information at their fingertips. We call these communities disinvested. These are the same communities that suffer in food deserts, that have poor access to transportation, that don't have the same kinds of access to healthcare that many of us enjoy. These are the same communities that now are suffering because of a lack of information. How do we provide important news and information to these disinvested communities when the places where they pick up the Tri-State Defender and the Flyer have been shut down? And with traditional sources of revenue, advertising, sponsorships, with that dwindling in this economic shutdown, how do we continue to fund these important sources of information and news? These are difficult and challenging questions, and we're not alone here in Memphis and not having all the answers. Nationwide, the industry has been suffering for years now. You know, there was once upon a time when the daily paper was kind of looked upon like, like the oak tree out in our front yard, you know, tall and strong with strong roots. Well, in the news industry, those roots have been rotting for quite some time due to numerous factors. And some are saying this pandemic and the economic shutdown is kind of the final storm that's gonna take down these trees. Well, we don't know that for sure. And that's one of the reasons why we assembled this panel, to have these discussions, to talk about things that we can do collectively, individually, but as a community, my guest panelists for this two-part discussion have come up with some very interesting and creative solutions. 
things that they were already working on that now have really come to fruition with this pandemic. You know, information is not a luxury right now. Poor access to news and information today, well, that can make a difference between someone contracting the virus or not. And it's no exaggeration to say that lack of information today is a life and death proposition. Well, my guests today understand that, they're here to talk about it, and they're here to share their thoughts. My guests are experts and leaders from our local not-for-profit, community-based, civic, and independent news organizations. Anna Travers Fogel, Editor-in-Chief of Memphis Magazine and CEO of Contemporary Media, which of course includes the printed Memphis Flyer. Carolyn Bauman, Community Engagement Strategist with Chalkbeat Tennessee, the nonprofit news organization committed to covering the efforts to improve our school system. Emily Trenum, Publisher and Community Engagement Manager for High Ground News, including their neighborhood embedded journalism called On the Ground. And Wendy C. Thomas, Founder, Editor, and Publisher of MLK 50, Justice Through Journalism, the nonprofit newsroom focused on poverty, power, and public policy. Well, welcome, ladies, to Storyboard 30 and our panel discussion, our Zoom panel discussion on the crisis in community news. Um, and we do use, we, we are using the word crisis. I, I, when, I, when I planned this discussion for the library, I was somewhat hesitant to use the word crisis. Um, because of all the challenges that we face in community slash nonprofit, all weeklies, in, in journalism in general, uh, you know, I was, I was re reluctant to use the word crisis, but um, the pandemic hit, uh, we all went into shutdown, and I am uh, no longer hesitant to use that word, crisis. So, um, Anna, I'll, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind, um, from a purely economic, financial, dollars and cents perspective, what, what's the crisis look like? It, it, it looks like a crisis. Uh, it, yeah, it, it looks like a crisis, but I will say, you know, I, I've, I've never been more proud of, of the team. I mean, I'm going to focus, I think, today really primarily on the flyer, because if we're talking about um, the most immediate effects, but also the um, the team at Contemporary Media that is the most directly involved in covering COVID, that, that is the team at the Flyer. You know, as with so many other alt-weeklies around the country, um, the economic shifts that have already begun to take place hit some of the industries that are really integral to the Flyers business model, hit those first. So if you think about like live entertainment, restaurants, casinos, anything event oriented, that's, that's our bread and butter and those are our loyal advertisers. And through no fault of their own, many of them are just simply um, not, not doing any business or not doing very much business um, right now and, and for the foreseeable future. Of course, some of the, um, restaurants and others are still doing things in a different way. So I don't want to say that like things are completely um, shut down, but you know, as, as people's budgets get stretched thin, one of the first things that's always going to go is advertising. Um, right. So it's been a pretty significant hit for, for us. Um, at the same time, I mean, I don't think that I've ever seen the flyer editorial team more motivated to take on 
stories and really reach for more ambitious projects than they have been in the last month. Um, so, you know, we're, we're sort of moving in, in two directions here where it's like the, the money is not coming, coming in um, in the same way that we, you know, had, had budgeted and, and all of that. And I don't know when that will pick up again. Um, at the same time, the, the team is, is doing really remarkable and commendable work, I, I feel. Um, so, you know, we're, we're starting to see a lot of it really already play out. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into all of the weeds about like what we're trying to do to weather the storm. But, um, you know, we've changed our print distribution model somewhat. So for the time being, we'll reassess this in the summer, but for the time being, we're printing every other week. And sort of a complicated calculus behind that decision. I can go into that more. It's it's partly economic, it's partly what makes sense in the community, and it's it's sort of trying to trying to balance all sorts of different things. And you know, there, it's it's not a perfect solution. I don't think that there are perfect solutions right now, um, but it's the best one that we could come up with. And again, for this temporary, we hope, period of time. We're pushing digital, so our digital traffic, I'm sure this is true for everybody on this um, on this call, our digital traffic numbers are way, way up at the same time as our print numbers um, have have taken a hit. Um, so I know that, you know, that just makes sense. Everybody is doing what the five of us are doing right now, sitting, sitting at home and looking at a screen. Um, right. So, you know, at the same time, though, I mean, I worry so much about, like, people who don't have ready digital access at home, um, you know, aren't, aren't set up for that. That's yeah. not going to change overnight just because we're in the middle of a pandemic and you're not going to go pick up the, you know, the, the flyer at a, at a newsstand that hasn't changed overnight. Um, right. So people who don't have digital access still don't. Um, and that's so much of why I think it's so valuable that we be in print. So that's one of the considerations that we took into account in making the decision to reduce the frequency, but not, you know, not try to do something like all of a sudden go digital only and, and take that resource just overnight out of the community. Right, right. Um, Emily, from a community engagement standpoint, um, what does the crisis look like from your perspective? Well, I mean, we're not able to do the kinds of community engagement we normally do. And I mean, we, you know, go into probably many of most of you, you guys know that, you know, we kind of focus on one neighborhood geography at a time and do a, a deep dive there and continue to cover the past neighborhoods. But you know, a lot of that is just going into the community and being there. You know, sometimes it's, you know, we do pop-up newsrooms in libraries and community centers. We, we do, we call them editorial advisories. They're really sort of story brainstorming sessions and, um, or just get together, go, sometimes go to people's homes. I mean, we, that's how we um, ensure that we're covering the stories that, residents want us to cover but also the stories that just people just probably wouldn't know about and that's been significantly well and we do events and go to a lot of community events and that's just been severely 
constrained and um i mean i'm as the, i'm the person who's responsible for that and i mean i'm reduced to i mean i've done a few you know zoom type calls with people but also just you know calling people on the phone and if i already have a relationship with them that's pretty that goes pretty well but if it's you know community leader from douglas who i've never met um had any bad experiences but it's just a you know it's difficult to just build that personal relationship and you know take the first steps in building trust and then learning about who they know that we need to meet and it's um i hate it i mean yeah. i think we've had good we're still we're still generating good story ideas i'm proud of the editorial we're doing in north memphis but I do think it's informed by North Memphis stakeholders, but it's just not the same as what we normally do. It's very been very frustrating. Yeah, yeah. From a purely journalistic standpoint, Wendy, your your job has changed also, um, and similar to what what Emily was talking about of not being able to engage in you know your subjects. What kind of changes have you made, and you know what is what does this crisis look like from your perspective? Now, I would echo you know what Emily said, how difficult it is to build relationships with people when you can't see them in person. A lot of the work that I've been doing focuses on workers, and typically where we're doing investigations, there's a lot that you um, can pick up from people just sitting with them and talking to them and observing them that all of that is gone, you know, and of course we're still betting everything that we're publishing, but it's just as more difficult when you can't read body language. And so we're yeah. being really careful about that when we're getting tips and, and that sort of thing. One of the things that, well, we're a really small newsroom. I'm still the only full-time employee. And so, you know, there's a, an instinct, by my, my team, and we're all like old newspaper people, um, yeah. just to want to go at it, right? But we can't cover breaking news like the CA might. We just don't have the bandwidth. And so um, in the last two weeks, I think we published like 12 stories, which is way more than we typically would. But it also, you know, we have to be careful about not burning out the team, you know, because this is, this is going to be a, um, a marathon, not a sprint. So one of the series that we um, decided to do early on, um, it was definitely in keeping with our mission about um, our mission to amplify marginalized voices is um, first person essays from workers. And so we've run maybe four of those so far. And I think we have four or five in the pipeline and are still continuing to solicit those. Um, mm -hmm. These are workers whose income or livelihood has been affected um, by the coronavirus. And so usually they're writing their own in a couple case, uh, their own pieces in a couple cases. It's been more of a, like as told to kind of a thing because everybody's not a writer and we don't want to limit um, the voices and the perspectives that we're sharing just to people who, you know, are comfortable writing something. We are, uh, we had lots of conversations with the leadership team and we are um, compensating the workers for that essay. Um, a lot of them can use the money and we um, pay all our guests kind of columnists a hundred dollars for whatever it is they have to say. Um, 
you know, time is money and we want to value people's time. And, you know, from our inception, we didn't want to, again, limit those voices to people who were professors and could write on their, you know, write on the clock or um, that sort of thing. And so we have doubled the compensation from 100 to 200 for the worker essays. Um, and a lot of times people need the money instantly. And so our financial processes are not set up such that um, we can pay people electronically, digitally. So um, I was lucky enough to come into some award money earlier this year. And so I've just been cash apping folk the money. Um, yeah. Super, I mean, I'm looking at like our vision board or our like editorial strategy for 2020. None of that is in there, you know, but I think all of us yeah. are being forced to pivot. Um, and it was a way we thought to be in solidarity with workers. Um, you know, we're named after Dr. King, who came here, of course, to support underpaid workers. And so um, we saw this as an extension of that. Yeah. And we're That's partnering a with high ground news. Right, right. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, Caroline, from a, um, from a, again, a journalistic standpoint, you know, a lot of the folks that you talk to are home now. They're not at schools, <laughs> right? Um, what kind of challenges are you facing with trying to tell the stories that you all are telling at Chalkbeat? Well, I, I should start by saying, you know, Chalkbeat, um, we're a nonprofit news organization and we're a network of bureaus. And so uh, our Memphis, um, we're headquartered in Memphis. We write about Tennessee um, broadly, but of course, focus on Shelby County schools. Um, and I, I just kind of insert that to say we've had the benefit of looking to our Chalkbeat family and seeing what's happening in other cities and what strategies are working uh, for reaching people who, like you said, are home and we can't go catch their parents in the, uh, in the drop off and pick up line, which is a huge you know, way that we, we reach diverse parents' voices and include all of them, not just the ones who are Chalkbeat loyal readers and comment on our, our Facebook page every day. That's been a, a challenge, but I, I think we're finding ways, not just in Memphis, but across our bureaus and, and certainly in Memphis and Tennessee to reach people where they are. We can't overlook the power of a smartphone, which a lot of people have now, even if they don't have internet access at home, which we know is a huge barrier in Memphis. And, and so maybe they don't have the power to um, or the capacity to, you know, be on the computer, or be on the internet for a long time, but they can fill out a quick Google survey um, on their data. And so we've, we've done a massive push for um, what we call call-outs, but they're essentially Google surveys that we embed at the bottom of our stories and push out on social media and in our newsletter. For me, something that's been really powerful is seeing those spread pretty quickly, and certainly to people that I weren't I was not expecting to write in. And so students, for example, have always been a huge um, group that we desperately want to represent well, and we want to be chalkbeat readers, a hard group to reach. I've been amazed at the amount of call-out responses we've gotten that have been high schoolers um, who are desperate for information, who are scared, who are funny, who are all of these wonderful, interesting things. Um, and the point of those call-outs that we've done is to answer this huge looming question for us as journalists, right? Which is, there's so much we can do. What is like most helpful to our audience or, or would be audience? Um, it's a really hard question to answer. We all have our own instincts 
based on our background and experiences. And that oftentimes dictates the direction that journalists go in, not always the most helpful direction. Um, and, and so for us, those have been a really good tool to figure out what questions do we need to be answering? What do we need to be focused on? And of course, we still try to do every, everything else in the education space, but with limited time and, and resources, it's a helpful navigation tool, for lack of a better word. Something else that I want to mention that we're, we actually just started this on Thursday, and every single one of you on this call were, were people that I was supposed to, to reach out today and, and this week with this information, and I decided I would just wait and do it semi-in-person, but um, we're also thinking through how to use text messaging broadly and effectively. Uh, like I just mentioned, a lot of people have smartphones these days, not everyone, and certainly not everyone wants to be spending their data on your website uh, if they don't have internet at home. Um, almost everyone has SMS text messaging. And so as far as an equalizer, it's a pretty good one. Um, if in-person is eliminated um, from our abilities, we use GroundSource, um, which is a tool in an organization, a company that works with a lot of journalists to help you do SMS text messaging on a bigger scale more efficiently and effectively. And in all of the cities that Chalkbeat exists, including Memphis, uh, a huge source of free food, free food has been eliminated from families and parents, which is the meals that children can get at school. Um, it, as a result, all of these sites across Memphis have opened up via now the YMCA to provide free um, meals to children and their families. What we were hearing from people in our networks was that, hey, you know, all of the information of where to go is available online. Um, I can go, you know, Talkbeat published a map where people can go type in their address and look up the nearest sites closest to them. Um, those maps across Talkbeat have been accessed by more than like 10,000 people or more than 10,000 times. So they provided this huge public service. They're also only online. So in Memphis on Thursday, we launched a tool where people can text their zip code to a number and either in Spanish or in English, get a, a kind of a survey or a series of text messages from us that tells them uh, when things are, when these sites are open, the nearest ones to them within their zip code. And, and we also in that kind of series are able to ask them, hey, do you have any questions for us about all of this and how it relates to schools. And the questions that we're getting from folks have been super practical, right? Can I take, do I have to take my child to one of these sites to get a free meal? The answer is no. Um, when are schools gonna reopen, of course? We've gotten that question so many times and don't have an answer yet. But that's been a huge, exciting opportunity for us to try to engage with people more broadly. And again, just answer questions that are helpful to their lives right now. And I'd yeah. love at a later date to talk with each one of you about how we might be able to work together to promote that tool or do something that is helpful in, 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 your, in your space and wheelhouse because we're all in different lanes here. Um, yeah. you know, we experimented with using GroundSource. In fact, we got a grant at one point to use it. It never really got traction. Your example is a great one. I mean, it was... Um, you know, people reaching out, and then you can respond with useful information. Um, I don't know. It 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 seemed intrusive to ask people for their 
for their numbers, but it was a, it was a different context. But um, texting seemed like a great idea because a lot of times that's how we communicate with stakeholders. I mean, we'll text them and say, hey, don't forget about this community meeting once they've given me permission to text them. It just it didn't it wasn't necessarily a good fit for us, but um, that's I, I still think it's a great has great, great potential. So I'd love to hear more about it at some point. Say if there's any way that we at the at the flyer can just help, I don't know, help spread word about anything like that that y'all are working on, we would be we would be glad to. I mean, I, I really feel like now's the time to be as collaborative as, as we possibly can be. So just please, please let me know what we can do to help. Um, I I talked with the flyer edit team um, a couple of weeks ago, like once this was already going on, but you know, before we got to quite where we are now, and just tried to talk through like, what's our, what is our role in this moment? Because I think there was an immediate and, and very understandable urge to kind of stay on the hamster wheel of like constant updates about case numbers and like every health department briefing and all of that. And it's not that I want to see the flyer not be um, keeping up with that, but I don't like our time as I know, like all of you know so well, our time is just so scarce and, and our team is so relatively small that there, there are really only so many stories that we can cover. And if we are spinning our wheels covering the same press briefings that um, that the CA is covering, that the Daily Memphian is covering, and like they're keeping us very well abreast of what's going on in those rooms. Like I, I don't know how much we we add if we're spending our time doing that as opposed to thinking about what are the stories that we're in a position to be to be telling that you know that maybe aren't getting told elsewhere. And I, I really see that happening in, in each of your publications. I've been like looking to all of to all of you for like what it is that that you're that you're working on and the individual stories that you're helping to spread and, and really feeling inspired by that to kind of be, you know, be the most useful and, and most innovative version of the flyer that we can be. Cause like I I don't you know, we're we're not a daily. I think that we started, you know, we can sometimes start to act like we are a daily because of course like we're online and you know all of that stuff but at the same time like our focus has always been designed to be a little bit more stepped back from what's going on you know in the every 10 minute changes of this like insane never-ending news cycle so i mean thank you for just helping kind of keep me responsible and, and keep me honest about like what we ought to be doing yeah you know i have to say with on that regard too you know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that we, we had moved to a new website uh, at the beginning of March. And I found, like, like everyone else, immediately adapting to the constant barrage of updates and information. And like all of you, suddenly the desire to get the story out becomes more about getting the information out that the public needs to potentially survive this thing, right? We've all been working toward more, more community engagement, more, uh, I'll use high grounds term, on the ground type coverage, 
but it's become much more immediate. So regardless of whether or not we're an alt-weekly or, or a magazine or a daily, everyone has had to step up and find different ways to, to engage with the public and to get the information out as soon as possible. Um, on that note, I would have to venture to say, because I know that I am working double time, whereas I was already working double time <laughs> trying to keep my publication going, but I'm certain that all of you have found yourself working even extent, more extended hours, despite the fact you're working from home, is doing so many more things at the same time, right? And with that, we come to the close of the first segment of our panel discussion in Community News in Crisis. I also invite you to listen in to the second segment, part two, when we continue this discussion. I wanna thank uh, my guests once again, my panelists, Anna Travers-Fogel of Contemporary Media and The Flyer, Caroline Bauman, Chalkbeat, Tennessee, Emily Trenum, High Ground News, and Wendy C. Thomas for MLK 50, Justice Through Journalism. And as always, I want to thank WYPL FM 89.3, Vance Durbin, Stephen Ussery, and the Memphis Public Libraries for their ongoing support. You've been listening to and watching Storyboard 30 for FM 89.3 and for Storyboard's Vimeo channel.